you're in a business and you're responsible for cybersecurity, it's how do you communicate around the risks? How do you make sure that people understand what they need to do to reduce the risks of cyber attacks? It's not just the technical aspects of working in the cyber industry. It's actually an all-encompassing career where you've got to think through strategy, you've got to think through communication, you've got to be able to influence, you've got to be able to sort of monitor and keep people accountable, as well as understand changing technologies, changing security lenses. You're listening to KBcast, the cybersecurity podcast for all executives. Cutting through the jargon and hype to understand the landscape where risk and technology meet. Now, here's your host, Carissa Breen. Joining me today is Helen Hamilton-Jones, Managing Partner, Western Sydney from Deloitte. And today, we're discussing what you and the team at Deloitte have been doing in regards to making Western Sydney a working hub. So Helen, thank you so much for joining the show. It's lovely to have you on today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So Helen, I really want to start with what you and your team at Deloitte have been doing. Now, we've had a few conversations in the lead up to our conversation today, but maybe if you could, you know, paint a high level picture around what you're doing to make Western Sydney more recognised as a strong working hub. So Deloitte has been based in Western Sydney for over 30 years. We are out of the big four professional services firms, we are the firm that has been there the longest and has stayed in the region. So we we show a strong commitment to what's happening in Western Sydney. At the moment, we have about 350 staff in the region and we actually provide services to our clients more broadly than that as well. Many of our Sydney team also work for, for Western Sydney clients. We actually are moving into a new office in 8 Parramatta Square. Actually, next week, we're in the middle of moving at the moment, which is which is quite exciting. So, again, I'm not sure if, if you've been out to Parramatta recently or, or Western Sydney more, more generally, but it's really changing. So we're moving into one of the new buildings in Parramatta Square, which has been built to essentially cater for the the growing, I suppose, economic hub that's in that region. Lots of lots of new businesses moving out. The government departments, the banks are all moving out. Big four firms are all there as well from a professional services perspective. So from our perspective, we've always been in the region and we've always focused on it as being a place where, you know, we see us, us being close to our, our clients. We see it as being a, an area where, you know, that's where the talent is. Many of our many of our talented staff live in Western Sydney. Therefore, it makes sense for us to have an office there and to actually invest in those, in, in that talent and those, those staff members. In our new office, we've just won a, a actual global design award for the FITAT. So it's brand new. It's been designed to be really focused on hybrid working and the spaces are set up so that people can work collaboratively. There's space for us to bring our clients into the office. There's space for us to bring community in, you know, work in different ways the technology in the office is cutting edge. It's the first office in the whole of the Deloitte network in Australia that's got really, really state-of-the-art technology to allow us to do hybrid meetings and to really interact really well. It, it's a strong focus for us. We know that's where talent is. We know that's where our clients is. We know that's where economic growth is. And so we see it as a strong, a strong hub for our teams to, to be based. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I understand what you're saying. I haven't been out there recently, but I know over the years it has been that growing hub as well. But I'm curious mm. then to know, why do you think historically 
Western Sydney hasn't really been known for that. I mean, I know that we sort of spoke about this offline, but I'm really keen to hear Mm. your thoughts because I think I want to try on this interview to maybe change the the lens perhaps and how people view Western Sydney. Now, I'm not even from Sydney originally, so I don't (laughs) have a horse in this race, but I'm really (laughs) curious to hear your thoughts on that. No, that's that's a great question and I think... (laughs) It is interesting. I think historically Parramatta, you know, was probably substandard from an office perspective. You know, it was sort of secondary secondary office buildings. A lot of people live in Western Sydney, but historically there's not been a lot of jobs in Western Sydney. So kind of the, the, the whole of Sydney has been set up so that people live, you know, further west because that's where houses are more affordable, that's where land is more affordable. So the city has grown. It's also where the space so that's where the city has grown. We've got lots and lots of, of, of residential spaces and many of the migrants that come to Australia actually you know, live out west. But what the, the planning of the city was interesting. Most people then had to get in normally trains because you know, or, or cars and, and transport and actually then travel to where the jobs were, which historically has actually been mostly based around the, the, you know, the central CBD. So there's, you know, there's been, there's been this real mismatch between where people live and where the jobs are historically. So when the, the, the city deal was put together and, and the vision around the three cities, which was the Central River City, which is around Parramatta, the new Western Parkland City, which is around the new airport, which is being built out west, and then the, the, the Harbour City, the, the, the plan was what we needed to do was actually create more opportunities for jobs and for businesses to be based out where people live. So people don't need to get in cars or trains or buses and travel for an hour, an hour and a half, even two hours sometimes to get to their job. They can actually live and work, you know, close by where they live. So there's been a really strong strategic focus on creating jobs in the West, which has, it's just taken a long time actually. And I think as that, that vision's been realised, places like Parramatta have been at the fore of that and there's been a lot of development, there's been a lot of thinking around how do we actually do that and to actually bring you know, the big employers out, the, the government departments, the banks, et cetera, out into Western Sydney, you need places that are you know, world-class really. So there's been a lot of transformation from an infrastructure perspective around mostly Parramatta, but starting to also happen in places like Liverpool, Penrith, Turn, for example, as well. So, th- so the, the idea is that we're actually creating the jobs you know, <laughs> near where people live. Yeah, and that makes sense because, I mean, look, even when I was working for a company, what, six years ago, and I remember speaking to a lady there and she's like, I have to get up at like 4.30 in the mm. morning to yep. get here because I live past the Blue yep. Mountains Yep. And that was just crazy for me. Yep. That's like four hours commute a day. So obviously when COVID and all that happened, really reduced people's commute time. So it makes sense with what you're saying. And then I was in the CBD recently and it's it's quite dead compared to what it used to be. Mm. So do you think that over time now we will see less people working in the city? Like we're not going to have it back to how it ever was before COVID, for example, which I think is a good thing because it was always just so hectically (laughs) busy and you're shoulder to shoulder with someone on a train or whatever it is. So do you think that over time that maybe people sort of migrate towards like Western Sydney and then the CBD will have sort of a a lower impact or do you think they'll be evenly, uh, evenly weighted? 
I think there will still be you know a lot of jobs in the cent- in, in in the the harbour city so around the centre of Sydney CBD as we traditionally know it definitely but I do think there will be much more of a balance and people will be able to work in really really exciting jobs get you know really cutting edge careers in sectors such as health you know space defense education some really interesting IT for example IT is a big one as well you know advanced manufacturing get some really interesting career opportunities and and work experience in the west so they don't necessarily need to come into the city I think that I, I think there'll be much more of a balance yeah absolutely I'm I'm in alignment with that because people have probably said, and maybe you can speak about this a little bit more, is perhaps people haven't taken a job because they're like, oh, it's based in the CBD. Like it's just too far for me to travel. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think that's right. I think there's two angles to that. I think many people traditionally, and to your point about changing the brand of Western Sydney, I think traditionally many people have said, no, I need to go into the city. I need to get on a train for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, you know, whatever the distance is, quite a long way because that's the only place where I'm going to have a fulfilling career where I can really advance. And that may have been the case traditionally and historically. It's no longer the case. So to your point about changing the brand, I think there's there's still a way to go around convincing some people that you know those opportunities do exist in, in Western Sydney. But now when you come into Parramatta and you can see names up on the buildings, you know, QBE, Deloitte, Westpac, NAB, CBA are going to be there. You've got some really, really, and, and, and some of the major government departments are going to be, oh, they're already there actually and more are moving. You know, I think by then you can actually start to change the narrative around actually there are some really exciting things to do. As the area around the airport develops, there are plans there to build some, some really interesting uh, ecosystems for sectors such as, as I said, advanced manufacturing, ag tech, space and defence. I mean, Australia's got the opportunity to lead the world in sort of space technology because some of the, some of the work that we do, some of the research that's being done. How exciting is that? That will be based at West, and people will actually want to come out west to have jobs in in sectors such as that. Yeah, I think that. That's excellent, and I and I'm I'm in alignment with what you're saying about changing the brand because, as oh. I mentioned, and I, I can understand and have empathy because growing up in a smaller country town in Queensland, oh. it's like, well, we can't really have that fulfilling career because there's just not the opportunity there, and that you know that definitely hasn't changed. It's still the same, but that's a big reason as to why I moved to Sydney to have oh. a career in something that wasn't you know trade based or something like that. So for me, I was like, this is what I have to do. So I can definitely relate on that level. But you mentioned something as well, Helen, when we spoke that women have been like underrepresented. So mm. is that, why is that the case? Is that based again on the location, on the jobs or yeah, talk, talk me through, through that? Yeah, that's, it's a really good point. I think what I don't think it's, it's statistically been, been proven in the census data that that's, that's out publicly. But I think there's a couple of reasons. One is that, you know, that the distances to get to jobs that we've talked about already impacts women, you know, again, generalizing, but generally impacts women more because they they have generally got the bulk of the child caring responsibilities. So if you have to take your child to childcare, then get on a train for an hour and a half, two hours, then come all the way back, pick up your child. It, it's very, very difficult to be working 
you know, in, in it, to be working full time, you might be able to pick up some some part time work. So I think definitely the, the 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 travel aspect and the time to get to jobs historically. I think there's also some cultural issues. We've got many people that live in Western Sydney are from migrant migrant backgrounds. So potentially don't have the networks, you know, don't have the language skills or or the experience or the skills to get some types of jobs. So I think there's definitely a need there and, and, and lots of discussions at the moment around how do we help support, you know, ed- education to, to help people in, in those situations. I think as well there is, you know, the childcare. There's a bit of a childcare desert out west as well. So do we actually have the, the, the facilities for ch- for children to go into care for, for mothers to go and work or mothers or fathers but mothers in in this case so I think there's a few reasons but I think certainly that the census data that came out recently also shows that there are proportionately more women in western Sydney than in the rest of Sydney who have unpaid care in the community um, obligations which is an interesting stat so obviously if you're providing unpaid unpaid care, whether that's to an elderly or a family member, then obviously you've got less time to be working full time too. And that, that's a that's a issue with, with where people are living at the moment. And so do you sort of envision, Helen, that over time that that, that will change? So like maybe, I mean, I don't have a timeline on it, but if, if we were to do this conversation again in like 12 months or 24 months, do you think it would be safe to say that there will be more women working in these types of roles due to like the location and also the growing hub and everything that you're doing with Deloitte? Do you think that that, that narrative will change? I, I, I certainly hope so. And I, and I think so. I think it's all about giving women options. And I think that's the important thing. I think having, you know, jobs in the region, if you're within 20 minutes or 30 minutes of a, of a job, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to juggle, you know, your other responsibilities. I think also as well that the move to hybrid working is going to help, is helping women. And that's not just a Western Sydney issue, but I think it it, it does particularly impact on women in Western Sydney because of those travel times and travel issues that we've spoken about already. So I certainly hope so, yes. And so how do you then believe positioning Sydney as a working hub will then unlock more opportunities for females, do you think that's going to give them perhaps, like you said, the education piece? And do you think it's going to give them maybe the confidence then? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think there's there's a couple of lenses to that. There's that the aspect of education and certainly there's a lot of work being done in Western Sydney at the moment around how do we help to educate? And it's not just women, women and, 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 and males around opportunity, actually training as well. There's There's a lot of work going into what's called micro-credentialing. So it's taking the concept of, you know, you go through school and you either leave school and then, you know, or, or you go to university or you go to TAFE. It's actually thinking more about what skills do you need through your life for different for different jobs and for different sectors. And you might, you know, you might go to TAFE for some practical work. You might go and, and do some work experience. You might then go and do a short form university course. So as we get more sophisticated around that, that model, it gives women in particular, you know, that opportunity to actually build confidence, gain skills, rather than going in and doing, you know, having to do a four-year degree to do something or to go into childcare or something, actually to be able to build their experience and their confidence to an, an, an extent, I suppose, and, and also their ability to change and morph as their, their life experiences 
you know, and their needs change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right, especially talking about the micro-credentialing. And I think that this is something in the cyberspace that we are often talking about. And if you look at a traditional degree, for example, especially in IT, like you got to do something for four years and by the time you finish it, mm. a lot of the skill set and the skills potentially could atrophy because things just move so quickly. Absolutely. That's a really good segue. I think it's, if, if, you know, if I could maybe talk about that cyber aspect, I think that's a great example of the micro-credentialing. So Deloitte has actually just set up in conjunction with government, industry, and, and two of the universities, Wollongong and Swinburne University, Swinburne College rather, to actually train cyber workers. So to your point around that, you know, things change so quickly. This is a three-year program where they actually do two days a week study and three days a week with in, in a business. It actually gives them practical experience, keeps them up to date. And, and it's actually really interesting. You know, there's a lot more cyber work is going to be needed. You know, every day there's a new cyber attack seemingly in the, in the papers. So I think it's thinking through how do we do things differently to give people the skills, you know, as, as, as sectors are changing so rapidly to allow them to stay current. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it depends on who you ask in the space. Like so many people are saying, oh, we don't have enough cyber talent. I think there was an article that came out this morning that people sent me with the burnout that's happening now with all mm-hmm. of, like you said, all these cyber attacks. Are people leaving the industry? It's just not worth it for them. We're going to have a deficit of people. So, Maybe I'm sort of then interested from from your perspective, Helen, like with the work that you're leading now, like how this will help build potentially the cyber talent pipeline, like not only just for for Sydney but for Australia because, again, going back to it depends on who you ask, people are going to say different things. But I think this this definitely is something that we need to continuously keep packing that top of funnel from an interest perspective around cybersecurity as a career. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I think it's and it's taking it away from being, it being you know maybe somebody that sits at home, you know, in in a room. It it becomes a. It's actually communicating as well as the technical aspects of a career in cyber is really important. You know, thinking through all the stuff. If you're in a business and you're responsible for cybersecurity, for example, it's how do you communicate, you know, around the risks? How do you make sure that people understand what they need to do to reduce the risks? Of cyber attacks. It's not just the technical aspects of, of working in the cyber industry. It's actually, you know, it's an all-encompassing career where you've got to think through strategy, you've got to think through communication, you've got to be able to influence, you've got to be able to sort of monitor and, and, and you know, keep people accountable, as well as understand sort of changing technologies, changing security lenses. So I think it's, a, it's, it's definitely a great career. I mean, you know, I think, and, and hopefully one that more and more women can become attracted to as well. I think traditionally many of the cyber graduates going through, you know, I don't think women are particularly well represented and we need to change that. So just going back to the micro-credentialing for a second, do you think that this is going to be what people as employers are focused on now? Because, again, like depends which degree that you study. Like you don't need a degree to work in marketing. Like, yes, it'd be maybe ideal, but... You don't need that. Maybe for like a doctor or a lawyer is a little bit different, but do you think that we'll see more of these micro-credentials coming through now for the next generation versus a traditional university degree? Yeah, I do. I think there's a little way to go with with convince, not convincing, but, but making 
it easier for business to change the way that they think. Certainly large organizations, they tend to have, you know, quite robust and, and structured recruitment processes. And, you know, it takes a bit of time for them to think through, actually, how do we change that to bring in people with diverse skills? But then everyone, the businesses understand that diversity is really, really important and you get a much better outcome if you have diverse skills coming in. So it's not around, you know, getting the best candidates from the same, you know, from a business course, for example. It's around how do you bring different people into your business who have different skills, different experiences, whether that's at work or culturally or, you know, in their, their life experiences. So it, over time, it's definitely going to make a difference. One of the things that, you know, many people are working on at the moment and it's, it's going to be needed is how do you actually record somewhere what you've done. If you get a degree, you know, you get a certificate at the end and you've got a degree. But if you build up experiences and micro-credentialing, it's important that there's a platform somewhere that's that, that's reputable, that's, you know, safe, that people can actually look at. So employers could look at and go, I can see that, you know, John Smith over here has got, you know, has done these small courses, you know, and, and he's also got this work experience and he's got this life experience. It's how do you build up that picture of, of a person's skill so that it makes it easier for businesses to actually understand the skills that they that they need and then to bring those skills into their business. Yeah, this is where it gets interesting. So like big firms that I've worked for in the past, like some of them are very focused mm. on like, where did you go to university? And like I said, I didn't go yeah. to university. Yep. So back yep. then when I was early 20s, trying to get a job on paper for me, I probably didn't look great at all, but it was different like in person because I had that experience behind mm. me. And I had already had maybe five, six, seven years experience by the time the person was straight out of university. So I think that it's interesting because you are right. And I and I don't know if if larger organizations are focused on hiring for aptitude, but talent and capability, because you'd have so many different like resumes and CVs that you got to look through, how to filter through. Some of them use AI to basically just cull mm. a whole bunch out. So do you think there needs to be sort of a change in place to to cater for not only the you know the the way in which we work today, whether it's hybrid working, not only to encourage more women who are potentially underrepresented, like we've touched on earlier in this interview, but also as well how we actually get that diversity and grow the talent that perhaps have been overlooked in the past. Yeah, yeah, Ab- absolutely. And businesses are having to think differently now because of the skill shortages. So we talked about skill shortages in cyber. It's interesting, I was talking to someone the other day and they're saying welders, can't get enough welders, for example, can't get enough childcare you know, teachers, can't get enough nurses, can't get enough auditors. There are skill shortages across many, many different sectors. And it's, it's not just an Australian issue. It actually seems to be a global issue at the moment as well, interestingly enough. So, you know, we, businesses need to look differently and how they manage to do that, I think the ones that do that better will be more successful um, in, in sort of recruiting and, and, and ultimately retaining that talent. You know, if you've got someone, if, if, if you're sophisticated around how you bring talent in, you're more, you'll be more sophisticated around how do you keep engaged with that talent so you can actually develop their skills in different areas as they, you know, grow and, you know, work with you. So I think... Um, Definitely, there's a there's a there's a definite need at the moment for for businesses to think differently. The other the other angle that you know we've touched on we've touched on women and the untapped resources that we've got you know in, in, in the female population, but there's also a significant 
migrant population where many, many of those migrants have got significant work experience, life experience, skills and capabilities that are not necessarily recognized here. We, we all know the stories about, you know, engineers that come, th- come over from different countries and they end up driving taxis, for example. And I think that's a challenge as well is how do we get businesses to start to, you know, understand those different skill sets and then be, be comfortable to recruit yeah, I hear exactly what you're saying. I knew a friend a long time ago. She was a qualified vet in Germany, but she's like, I can't get the qualification here, so I have to do something else. My brother's yeah, yeah. in Japan, but she's like, I have to do another couple of years like yep. study yep. to be a nurse here, so she just doesn't do it. So do mm. you think that's why maybe there's this deficit of you can't find welders and nurses? Is it because of the it's not recognized here in Australia, for example, or is it just because people are choosing other career paths? That's a good question. I think it's definitely part of it. I, I, it's not the whole solution, but it's definitely one of the pieces. If we can unlock capacity and capability in the people that are already here, it, it's going to help us significantly to fill those gaps. So just going back just on the, the roles for a second, I mean, I'm curious to really hear your opinion on this. So there's obviously Gen Z for for example, some of them are very focused on, I want to be a TikTok influencer. And then as a result, why would I go to university and study nursing for four years? So do you think that maybe there's going to be more of that, that we see more people wanting to become YouTubers? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely not. But is that going to potentially take away from people doing more traditional jobs like welding and nursing and things like that because of these new jobs that have been uncovered recently? That's an interesting, interesting question. And the answer is possibly Yes, and I'm not sure how long you can be a YouTube influencer for. Whether there's a you know, whether there's a churn of those. I mean, obviously, the, the, you know, some of people will be very successful at that. But definitely, the the nature of work is changing significantly. So we know that you know our children today or the school leavers today, the jobs that we know and that they know now in 10, 20 years will be completely different. There'll be completely different types of jobs that we've never heard of. I mean, if if you think back when, you know, maybe when you and I left uni or or were in our early, you know, years working, we wouldn't know what, you know, I mean, you know, even even a even a cyber expert, I'm not sure would have been a thing when I left no. university. So I, it, it's just that the, the nature of work is changing all the time, which is why as, you know, as a person coming through school, uni and and, and building that career and experience, that breadth of capability, experience, and I suppose the, the micro-credentialing courses that they've done, it's really important to, to keep that core of, of clarity around the ability that you do have. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. Like even when I was in year 12, they're like, what do you want to do when you're, when you're older? <laughs> and I filled out this form and I was like, got to, and I was like, I don't like any of these careers. But then it was so much mm. like IT back then was like, the IT guy that comes around to your computer when you're at school. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it's so much more to it than that. And I've had multiple parents call me and say, can you please speak to my daughter or my son? Because they may be slightly interested in what you want to do or they you, can you open their mind up to other things? And I think that some of these career counsellors are, are maybe mm. a little bit passe in some of the jobs, like certain jobs, it's like that job doesn't even yeah. exist anymore. Or I don't. I haven't heard of someone doing that job for such a long time, and I, so I think there's this stereotype of what jobs are based on Hollywood and movies and what we what we think we know because we, we've seen this job around for so long. So I guess security mm. is, or even tech more broadly, is 
an immature sort of field still in terms of the the depth and breadth of the jobs that are available. And it's not all technical and it's not all just, you know, coding in a basement that people seem to always think. So it's about (laughs) changing that narrative, which again, to your point, it, it does take a bit of time and again like even if we fast forward a couple of years it's things are going to be different again there's going to be more jobs that pop up and jobs when I don't know our grandparents were younger don't exist anymore Mm. so I guess that's just evolution of society but I think that it's just a common theme that we're sort of seeing here in cybersecurity that depends on who you ask yeah, I think that I think that's right. Deloitte did a piece of thought leadership a couple of years ago around the different types of work. Because you're right, there's a question around you know as as we get more automated, what does that mean for jobs? You know, some people are frightened that as we get more automated, there'll be no jobs, and it's like, actually that's definitely not the case. But the jobs are changing, and they're becoming you know before we, before we had computers, it was generally jobs of the hand. So if you think about it, you know, manual labor caring jobs then we morphed into more jobs where it was jobs of the mind so you know maybe more technical professional services and whereas now what we're seeing is that we're actually moving to those more jobs of the heart where people are going to be successful in jobs is where they've got those soft skills you know the ability to flex to do different things but with the basic you know communication skills you know resilience all those type of soft skills that's going to allow them to be flexible and agile in whatever part of you know of the world they they live in or whatever sector they're in they can move between sectors then as well more easily so it's 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 around thinking around you know less less of I'm going to go and do a law degree or I'm going to go and do a you know NAS degree it's more around well what are the skills and what do I want to what do I want to focus on more generally? I think it's, it's, it's a changing world, definitely. So I just sort of want to zoom out now, maybe ask yourself, Helen, like what can maybe corporations who are listening to this interview, what can they do to foster this initiative the way that Deloitte's doing, for, you know, fostering the strong working hub in Western Sydney? Is there any sort of advice or anything that people can take away from today's interview? I think a couple of things. One is one of the things we've done in Western Sydney is is really engaged with the Western Sydney University. So I think connection to universities and also then through to the schools as well, I think is really important for business. I think it's all around how do you communicate to school, you know, to school kids and then to uni graduates, but you actually need to get them when they're at school. I think it actually explain what the jobs in your business are. So at Deloitte, for example, we have a million and one different types of jobs within within the organisation, everything from, you know, designers through to actuaries, through to auditors, tax people, you know, consultants, sector experts. So, so it's, it's such a broad range. And I think, as you said, the jobs are changing so much that we, you know, as, as a somebody going through school, particularly as you comment earlier about careers advisors maybe not keeping up to speed as well, I think if businesses can really connect in to the kids, connect in to the uni, uni students and bring them into their business, explain what they do. It, it sort of translates, I think, between the two and then it, it helps to, it helps for the businesses to I, identify talent and identify, you know, those soft skills and the maybe the skills that aren't on a piece of paper because you're interacting with people and then also for the for the school leavers and the and the grad graduates to actually go now I understand what Deloitte want and or, or whatever businesses what they want and I've got those skills and you, you build relationships and then 
eventually being employed is is an easier is an easier path. So I think it's get to know your get to know your local market. And then what about sort of looking forward? Do you have any sort of hypothesis around what you're sort of envisioning as we traverse into 2023 and beyond in terms of the growth and the and the talent within Western Sydney? Well, it's only going to get better. Um, <laughs> Western Sydney is the fastest growing area in Australia, really. We've talked about the untapped potential. We've got a large Indigenous population. We've got women. We've got migrant populations that I think, as we've talked about, expect to tap more and more of. We know that there's more and more businesses moving into the region. So there'll be you know, a whole range of jobs from all in all sectors, you know, nursing, aged care, tourism, retail, you know, some of those more advanced sectors that I spoke about earlier. So I think it's only it's only positive for Western Sydney. We're getting some great transport links put in. So obviously one of the challenges we've talked about a lot is is, is the transport and the time it takes to get somewhere. So with the metros coming into Parramatta soon, we've got light rail coming. I think the airport will open up the region as well. So, yeah, it's only positive. And in terms of any sort of closing comments or final thoughts, is there anything specific you'd like to leave our audience with today? Um, I think a couple of things around if you're in the area and you've not been out to Parramatta or Western Sydney recently, I'd really highly recommend that you come out and have a look. It's it's an amazing place now. We've got the, the new powerhouse museum is going to be opening in about, I think it's two years' time, which will be, which is actually the largest investment in a museum or an, you know, an, an art precinct since the Opera House. Again, really focused on STEM. So there's some great things to see out there. There's history, there's modern, there's, you know, the park. So come and have a look would be my closing comment. Great place to work and a great place to live. I think that's excellent because, you know, there's so many different comments flying around around where people live in Sydney, which I found really interesting when I moved here, actually. (laughs) So I wanted to bring you on the show, demystify maybe some of the preconceived notions people have around areas in Sydney that people live. <laughs> and I think that also showing that, you know, this is this is what's happening, this is where it's moving towards. I didn't know about the museum, so I think that's a, that's a positive note to leave our audience on. So, Helen, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for, again, having this broader discussion about Western Sydney and then tying that back to our cybersecurity skill shortage that we may or may not have, depending on who you ask. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that you found today's episode useful and you took away a few key points. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get our latest episodes. This podcast is brought to you by MercSec, the specialists in security, search and recruitment solutions. Visit MercSec.com to connect today. If you'd like to find out how KBI can help grow your cyber business, then please head over to kbi.digital. This podcast was brought to you by KBI.media, the voice of cyber.